From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 254 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, John Sakari. John, how are you today? Very good. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing okay. I just came, like we were talking before the show, I just came in from watering the garden pots. And of course, now my allergies are all acting up. Yeah, the (laughs) pollen, the pollen, the pollen. Yeah, we had more rain last week. And then the sun comes out again, and it gets hot. And then, you know, the pollen just goes nuts. I have to tell our listeners, if you haven't heard part one of this Pinocchio, do you know it stuck with me that episode? Like, there's so many things in there that I had no idea that you really have to listen to part one before you go on to part two because there's a lot of good juice in there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of what what might have been and what got cut and uh, what f- I find fascinating is the whole thinking process. Yes, that they go through and planning this, their discussions. We're going to get into more of that today. Awesome. So, uh, so the, the big takeaway for me was the termite. And I'm not saying anything. You <laughs> have to you go listen to part it. one. Yeah, you guessed it. Well, because yeah. you said the minute you said wood, I was like, oh my, really? Okay. <laughs> that would have been annoying. So anyway, well, as we're talking about in this episode, we're continuing our series of Walt Disney's animated features. In the past, we've covered the Alice comedies, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit series, the Silly Symphonies, and the careers of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. And also the making of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So in our last episode, we explored the early development of Pinocchio, including several of the scenes and characters that were deleted. In this installment, we're going to examine how the main characters were created. So John, in Pinocchio, do you have a favorite character? 100% the Blue Fairy. How interesting, because that's my favorite character too. Now, why is is she yours? Okay, she to me, embodies everything that a mother type, this warm, inviting, comforting, uh, guiding light to just tell you the right thing without pressure, without judgment. I don't, there's just something very magical about the Blue Fairy, yeah. and I love her. Me too. And she's so kind, and she's beautiful. Oh, and and it's interesting you brought up those character traits because when we talk about the blue fairy, those traits are going to come up in awesome. in our discussion. So Disney artists and animators used two-dimensional model sheets for their earlier Disney shorts and for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to maintain consistency amongst the characters who were animated by multiple artists. But Pinocchio went to the next level with a method that's still used today in both hand-drawn and digital animation, sculpting three-dimensional models. 
Having a miniature, or in some cases to scale sculptures of the film's many moving elements, meant that animators could switch more easily between projects and maintain consistency of form and proportion across multiple sequences. Bob Jones, a puppeteer who came to the Walt Disney Studio hoping to convince Walt to make a three-dimensional Muppet, a puppet movie, um, and the, the modeling department uh, to create a detailed miniatures of Pinocchio and the secondary characters, um, Stromboli's wagon, the Pleasure Island stagecoach, and working models of the many fanciful cuckoo clocks hanging on Geppetto's workshop wall so that the animators could see how all these actually looked in motion. And Bob Jones uh, became the head of the model department at this time. So the clocks in Geppetto's workshop and the coachman's coach and Stromboli's wagon were made as life-sized models. Now, they also had a working miniature of Stromboli's wagon that had a complete suspension system, and it was filmed from the angles the animators needed so they could accurately capture the wagon's movements. So the miniature wagon was filmed going along the track as it would in the film with all the bumps and turns of the road. Once filmed from the angles they needed, they blew up the frames to create relief cells and combined them with the character animation to create a realistic look for the wagon. Now, Walt Disney loved three-dimensional models, and he expanded the studio's character model shop in the early 1940s, bringing in more sculptors to work on models for Bambi, Fantasia, and other productions. Now, the model shop was disbanded in the mid-1940s as a cost-saving measure during World War II, but the studio continued to build miniature models more informally for films like Cinderella and 101 Dalmatians. So let's take a look at um, some of the main characters in the film and how they were created. So let's start by talking about the character that has become the most enduring. We talked about him in our last episode, and that's Jiminy Cricket. If you listen to that episode, you know that Jiminy was inspired by the talking cricket in Carlo Collodi's original story. In the fourth chapter of the book, we meet the cricket, who is crawling on a wall of Geppetto's cottage, and tells Pinocchio that he should obey Geppetto when he's not home. But in a fit of temper, Pinocchio throws a hammer at the cricket, smashing him dead. However, the ghost of the cricket appears sporadically throughout the story to offer more advice to Pinocchio, which he usually ignores. Walt and his team were aware of the book and the role of the cricket, but in the early development of the film in 1937, the writers proposed that the blue fairy appear throughout the film in the guise of a blue turtle, a blue cricket, and various other animals, all blue, to provide guidance to the puppet. Oh, I don't know that I would hate that. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and we'll get into why they they steered away from it, especially when we talk about the blue fairy. But uh, but it is interesting. It's an interesting concept. Now, rather than having another character help Pinocchio, it was decided that Pinocchio would learn about life and its lessons on his own. Up to April 1938, Walt and his writers were considering having Pinocchio appear as two puppets as he argued or discussed his next course of action. Interesting. Yeah. After the hiatus, Walt imposed to rethink the story. 
The idea of having the cricket serve as Pinocchio's conscience was included, but was an unnamed minor character. After the Blue Fairy appoints the cricket to serve as Pinocchio's conscience, he joins the puppet on his adventures, but also succumbs to temptation. And when he and Pinocchio escape Pleasure Island, they are both donkeys. (laughs) This idea was dropped in July 1938. Instead, the cricket would leave Pinocchio before his battle with Monstro because Pinocchio now had his own conscience. By the end of the summer of 1938, the cricket, now named Jiminy by Walt, as we we talked about how Walt named him in our previous episode, he was still a minor character. But thanks to the work of Ward Kimball and Cliff Edwards, the role of Jiminy would grow. Ward Kimball was assigned to design Jiminy Cricket. Later in his life, Kimball would claim that Walt consoled him about cutting out the dwarf soup scene in Snow White, which (laughs) Kimball had animated, by describing Pinocchio and the wonderful character of Jiminy Cricket that he wanted uh, Kimball to take on personally. Now, that's a nice story. But as we have already discussed, at that time, Bambi was slated to be the next film, which means that the Cricket character was not yet conceived. Nevertheless, it is true that Walt assigned Jiminy Cricket to Kimball, whose first thought was how to make a caricature of a cricket without it looking terrible and ugly. Kimball's first renderings of Jiminy were very insect-like and rejected by Walt. As we talked about last time, as Kimball revised Jiminy, most insect-like characteristics were dropped until he looked like a little man and Walt approved. Kimball always claimed that he never liked the character. Kimball oversaw the character and personally animated many of the cricket's key scenes while supervising a team of cricket artists who animated other cricket scenes. As Kimball guided the design of Jiminy, the character's personality was also evolving and was strongly influenced by Cliff Edwards, who had been hired to provide the voice of the cricket. Edwards had been in show business for over two decades. He became popular in the 1920s as Ukulele Ike, known for his distinctive voice and scat singing style. He'd already appeared in several films for MGM and was established as a popular character actor before being hired by the Walt Disney Studio. This was fortuitous because his popularity was fading and his finances were unstable due to his tendency to spend money as fast as he earned it and his multiple marriages and divorces. Walt knew that the warmth Edward exuded when he spoke and his singing voice would benefit the personality of Jiminy Cricket. So Edwards transformed the cricket from being a pompous little fellow, as Walt had called him, into a merry, lively character. Many of Pinocchio's scenes were filmed as live action for the animators to reference. For Jiminy, Edwards was not up to the task for acting out Jiminy and capturing his nimbleness and quick movements. So actor Val Stanton was hired to portray the cricket in front of the camera. Edwards was filmed recording Jiminy's voice so animators could capture some of his facial movements and expressions. So the development of Jiminy's personality continues through 1938 and 1939. His role as conscience and the film's narrator were developed rather late in the process. So, Let me John, ask you what a, are your thoughts? Uh-huh. Yeah, I have a question. You saying Kimball said he didn't like Jiminy. Was that 
before the personality change or ultimately no, even after all this was he done? He always said that he hated the cricket. Re- I, I find that why. so it's amazing to me that you could animate it, be that much responsible for its design, and for me to fall in love with it as much as I did as a kid and you know even as an adult, and still he just didn't care for it. He didn't character. care for it. And it's funny because it's probably the character that he came to be most identified with. Even yep. where the Ward Kimball locomotive at Disneyland has Jiminy on it. Very <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, I don't know why. I guess I, I don't know if it was just because it was an insect or, and then, it, and then it just became a little dis you know, little man kind of character. And he just didn't warm up to it. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So Jiminy is, is a character you like? I do like Jiminy. Yeah. I mean, not as much as the blue fairy, but I love Jiminy. You don't like Jiminy or you do too? No, I, I do. I do. I really like him. So I, and, and he's a good narrator, you know, bringing the beginning and the end of the films together. Yes. Yes. Well. Completely. So, Let's take a look at Geppetto. And what, one of the reasons Walt put development of the film on hiatus was to rework the character of Geppetto. In the book, Geppetto was a cranky old man who lived in a small, barely furnished room and was known around the village for disliking children, especially mm. small boys. The film's story writers made the character more kindly, sympathetic, and longing for a son. There was a scene in which Geppetto weeps that he does not have a child of his own when watching the children going off to school. Walt didn't like that and told the writers to be more subtle. In early 1938, well-known film actor Spencer Charters was hired to be the voice and live-action model for Geppetto. Now, the first concepts of Geppetto modeled on charters, had the character being outwardly gruff and cranky with a heart of gold inside. The first animated scenes with Geppetto made everyone realize this approach would not work. Okay, so they were going for Carl from Up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I didn't make that connection. But yeah, that's a good one. It was decided that Geppetto needed to be kindly and warm and hired another character actor, Christian Rube, to voice Geppetto. His accent transformed the character as the writers and animators were gradually shifting the tone and look of the film from Italy towards an old world European charm. However, many thought Rube's accent was difficult to understand, which would pose a problem for the film if Geppetto were to carry much of the plot of the film. Walt and his crew became increasingly concerned as they listened to Rube's recordings. Walt said, quote, I can't understand the old man's dialogue. Of course, I know what it is, but I don't think anybody else will understand it, <laughs> unquote. Rube's dialogue was recorded over and over again, with writers simplifying it to make it more clear. As the, fil- as the film developed and Jiminy's role as narrator grew, focus was shifted away from Geppetto. Rube was also the live-action model for Geppetto. Originally conceived as a short, as shortened squat, Geppetto was redesigned to be tall and lanky like Rube. Geppetto was largely animated by Art Babbitt and with Bill Teitla and Fred Moore working independently on other scenes with Geppetto. 
Geppetto's personality and actions were largely determined by Babbitt, and Moore's more cartoony style is evident in Geppetto's childlike joy when naming Pinocchio and his panic when Pinocchio lights his finger on fire. For the musical scenes in the workshop, the animator suggested various instruments for Geppetto. It was Walt who decided that Geppetto would play the concertina. So... so- in the film, is it Rube's voice that we hear? Yes. Okay, so it ultimately turned out okay. I mean, he has very few lines, but it ultimately mm-hmm. turned out that pretty good. Yeah, I, d- I don't have a problem understanding him. No, but, but we don't know what the original recording sounded like. We could no. only imagine. I know. It, it must have been pretty bad if Walt, or pretty heavy, if Walt couldn't understand it. Yeah, yeah. especially when he knows, him. right, right. <laughs> he knows, he knows what it says and he still can't understand it. Yeah. No, I, I like uh, the final Geppetto. I like it. I do too. I like the, the sort of the grandfatherly, yeah. you know, patient, charming man that he is. Yeah. 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 Well, let's take a look at our main character. Out of all the characters in the film, Pinocchio went through the greatest change, from his first concepts to the final character that we meet in the film. The story team originally conceived Pinocchio as the same cocky and abrasive character as in Collotti's book. And as we learned in our previous episode, despite recognizing the difficulties with the personality of Pinocchio, Walt suggested ways Pinocchio could be more brash and mischievous in the hopes this would make the character more appealing. Walter Tetley, an adult actor in radio and film known for portraying child and adolescent characters, was hired to provide the voice for Pinocchio. He recorded Pinocchio as being rebellious, headstrong, and insolent. When these scenes were animated, it became clear to Walt and his team that Pinocchio could not carry the film with such an obnoxious personality. During the film's hiatus in 1938, Pinocchio's character was reworked. Rather than being obnoxious, he was now naive and easily duped by unscrupulous characters till he learned not to trust them. As development continued into 1939, Pinocchio grew even more innocent and less assertive. Rather than being rebellious and not listening to Jiminy, he simply fails to understand what Jiminy is telling him. As Pinocchio grew more innocent, it became evident that Walter Tetley's voice would no longer work for the character. Wow. The studio began to test other voices, (laughs) some already hired at the studio, like Ward Kimball's wife, Betty, who was in the ink and paint department, as well as putting out a call for auditions. One person who auditioned was Carl Switzer, and you may know him, John, as uh, Alfalfa in the R Gang (gasps) comedies. Oh, no, that's uh, The Little Rascals, right? Right, that's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, did not know now, that. Did you, did you also know that he was in, um, oh, gosh, I always forget the name of the film. Um, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Christmas film. It always oh. slips my mind. Oh, st- uh, oh stop. Jim- Jimmy Stewart, Christmas, I know this. I know, uh, I know. Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful, it's a wonderful life? life. He's yeah. in A Wonderful Life. He's the... He, the teenager that has the key in the gymnasium and he's all put out because he, Jimmy Stewart, you know, grabbed his gal, Donna Reed, to dance with her. So he has the key and opens up 
the movable floor so that they all end up falling into the swimming pool. That's alfalfa. Yeah, yeah. He still has oh, all the my, fractals and everything. Mike did not do that, put that together at all. Yeah. So now when viewing the film The Kid Comes Back, a young actor portraying a newsboy caught Walt's attention. 11-year-old Dickie Jones, who was already a veteran of many films and had even appeared in the Our Gang comedies, was hired. In between his recording sessions for Pinocchio, Dickie was able to continue acting in films for other studios. Speaking in an on-screen interview, Jones said, quote, A lot of times they, meaning Disney's team, would come in and they would get real close with a small camera and just photograph our nose, our mouth, and our chin as we were doing the dialogue so the animators could actually see how a nose would work and lips would move to form the certain words, unquote. Amazing. Now, the changes in the design of Pinocchio would have a significant impact on the future of the studio. Up till now, a small group of artists, and included Fred Moore, Norm Ferguson, Bill Teitla, Ham Lusk, and Art Babbitt, had determined the look of Disney animation. As the staff expanded, some newcomers who had been the subordinates of these animators began to gain more influence. We've already learned that Ward Kimball grew in prominence and became the animating supervisor of Jiminy Cricket. In their early concepts of Pinocchio, he was a challenge because he had to move like a jointed wooden figure whilst having an appealing personality. It was assumed that Fred Moore, the specialist for cute characters, would be integral to animating Pinocchio as a charming character, but not even the talents of Moore could overcome the design challenges of the character. Animator Milt Call would rightly earn the reputation of being an extraordinary draftsman who could draw anything, decided to take on the challenge of Pinocchio. He discarded all the character concepts and mm. designed him as a cute little boy first, then added the wooden joints and other toy-like features. It was exactly what was needed and would prove to be a turning point for the studio. Not only did Call become one of the character's top animators, he became the one who other artists and animators went to for advice and to admire his work, a role that was previously held by Fred Moore. Another new artist, Frank Thomas, was assigned to work alongside um, Call on Pinocchio. Thomas even recorded an audio lecture for the artists on the fine points of animating Pinocchio. Kimball, Call, and Thomas worked with the ink and paint team on the subtleties of their characters and offered practical tips on how the characters were designed and how they should be painted. Kimball, Colin Thomas would become part of a new group of animators who would eventually replace the Disney animation department and become known as Walt's Nine Old Men. Although Bill Teitlin, Norm Ferguson, Art Babbitt, and Fred Moore's work still shine in the film, the next generation of animators was poised to take over. So Pinocchio, so John, John you know, you heard last week and this week, what a transition this yeah, character you know went through. I, I remember we said something on the last episode that after Snow White, they were gung-ho. They knew what to do. We know how to make a film. This film really was met with so many different uh, obstacles and changes, and it's still going on. It's, it, it just amazes me that they 
I mean, how many times do you have to just throw out what you've done and, and restart with a new person, yeah. a new model, a new voice? Uh, it's crazy. And Walt had no problem with it because he demanded perfection. And he felt yeah. that in the end, it would pay off because yeah. audiences would flock to the film. That's how I felt about the parks. Pour money into the parks and it'll pay off because people will come. I think a lesser creative, I don't know what word I'm looking for, a lesser uh, disciplined individual at some point would have said, all right, we've already invested so much time. Let's just go for it and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. But they didn't. They made sure it was right before they went forward. Sometimes I think we see that in films today. And I don't just mean Disney films. Oh, I I agree. In other films, I just feel they think, okay, we need to cut our losses here. We spent too much money and the ending is gone. The credits just come up. You're like, what? Yeah, or or the the character development isn't there, or the story doesn't hang together, or yep. they're not true to the characters, especially if it's you know a series of films. Yeah, and and they don't remain true to the original concepts of the characters. You yep. know, so um, how many times do you yell at the screen and, and think this person, based on the character they've given me, would never make this decision? I have, I have, yeah, thought yeah. that. Wait, this is out of character for completely for this, yeah. But nope, Walt made sure that um, it all looked the way he wanted wanted it yeah. to look. The, the the one time I know he decided, okay, we're not redoing it. Was he was very unhappy with. Um, original ending of Snow White because as the prince carries her off to the castle, he (laughs) shimmies a little. There was an issue with the camera and the animation and he saw it. Now they were down in the wire. I mean, the the film was wet, you know, still, and he wanted to refilm it. And then he was told how much it would be. And he said, send it out. (laughs) That was was one time he said, okay, if you watch it today, can you see the little they fixed shimmy? It. They fixed it later on. Oh, they, okay. Yeah. I wanted to see it. They fixed it before some of the re-releases. I think it wasn't, though, until like the 80s or something they they fixed it. Mm. So. If we have time, uh, at the end, remind me about the Muppet uh, 3D, Muppets 3D. There's a big mistake in that that was left in that I just recently saw. Okay, so remind, remind me. I'll remind you I, at the end. I love the Muppets 3D. I wish they'd update it. But, okay, yeah, uh, me too. I I, but keep it rather than getting rid of it. You know, if those are our right. only two choices, let's keep it. But I always love seeing what the end when the when they go break through the wall and you see yes. the people from outside looking in. I thought I don't think that fountain's there anymore, <laughs> and, or, no. and they're dressed in such eighties yes. clothing. I, I think they film that like a like with. People at the park that day. I think they just asked them, "Would you like to be in a mm-hmm. an extra in a movie?" I think. That's what I've heard. They do that. They do that sometimes. They do that for films. Like they're being filmed on location, like aboard a cruise ship, let's say. Yes. They they will ask, something will go out to the passengers saying, do you have any volunteers who want to be, you know, a part of this scene in this area of the ship? And they'll do things like that. So. Well, let's take a look at our favorite character. Even though I, yeah. I don't know if you could say she was a main character, because probably an argument could be made that Stromboli had more screen time, Fox and the Hound. But because she's our favorite, I thought I'm including her as a main. Character. She's also the most important, arguably. Well, the most she important is. Character. She sort of gets things rolling, doesn't she? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 
So, well, in the original book, the blue fairy appears in chapter 15 as the little girl with blue hair. Claudia intended chapter 15 to be the last, but he resumed the story with chapter 16, and it, and, and, he, and he had her die in chapter 15, so, oh. and explained the little girl was actually a fairy who had lived in the forest for more than a thousand years. She would appear periodically to assist Pinocchio die, re- revive, and she would do this a few times, and then grow into a woman, and then she and Pinocchio agreed she would be his mother. Ah, oh, okay. interesting? interesting. Yeah. yeah. At the end of 1937, the story writers pictured the fairy as a character, quote, like Irene Dunn, who is pretty but smart, not too mushy, unquote. Are you familiar with Irene Dunn? I am uh, not. Okay, well, she was a leading lady in Hollywood. She was like the it girl for a very long time. She, if you ever watch the opening television broadcast of Disneyland, she's the actress who christens the Mark Twain Riverboat. Oh, I think and, that's... Was and that, she, was she com- blonde? And she comments that, well, it's black and white in there. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> but uh, she might have been, or I think she changed her hair for different films. But, um, and, and I think she mentioned that the, the boat is listing and it turned out they had overfilled it and oh. it did start taking on water as it went around the river. <laughs> but you can hear her say that in the, in the broadcast, the boat is listing. So that Walt was thinking of the unlimited possibilities of animation. So he envisioned the character as a little fairy who could appear as different figures. Ted Sears, the head of the studio's story writing, suggested she'd be a little taller than Pinocchio, but doesn't have to be a grown woman. Three months later, the studio began filming live action reference footage for the Blue Fairy. At first, actress, um, radio actress Lorene Tuttle was hired as the model and also recorded some of the fairy's dialogue. She was replaced by Marjorie Belcher, who later married and became known as Marjorie Champion, who had a uh, modeled Snow White and now the Blue Fairy. With all these voices that are recast, there's like a hundred people in Hollywood saying, I'm going to be in a new Disney movie that never really get into a new Disney movie. I I have known actors and voice actors and real actors who told me how excited they were to be in a Disney film or a Disney series only to find when it, oh. when it came out that they they hit the cutting room floor. I think that's worse than never doing it at all. Yeah. Sitting there with Walt recording being excited and then not yeah. being in the film, ah, oh, that would or, destroy me. Or what's funny as we with some of the Disney films especially in this early time when they were replacing uh, voice actors, they would sometimes save maybe something, one or two lines from the original voice, and then use then the rest of the lines from the the new voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would even be more irritating. <laughs> yeah, because then you get no credit for it. Yeah. Now the blue fairy we know was a compromise. She was a grown woman who could magically transform into other figures. In a 1937 outline, she rescued Pinocchio from his underwater encounters by turning into a fish and then a turtle. Later, she appeared as a dove delivering a message from Geppetto. 
And Walt liked the idea of the Blue Fairy transforming into other forms to show she is watching over Pinocchio without his knowing she is there. I like that. So animating the Blue Fairy was challenging for the animators at this time. They had worked on many realistic human characters in Snow White, and in Pinocchio, the Blue Fairy was the only realistic human-looking character. Because of the challenges with animating realistic features, her screen time was cut down to a minimum. Jack Campbell, the artist of Snow White, who went from being a key assistant on Snow White to animating long sequences by himself, moved on to animating the lovely senoritas in Ferdinand and the Bull. And then was then typecast as one proficient at animating female characters. So it was logical for him to be assigned to the Blue Fairy. Campbell had been developing his talent and now considered his animation of Snow White to be subpar. He wanted the Blue Fairy to be as realistic as possible. He didn't say much about the body of the Blue Fairy. He focused on her facial features, particularly on her eyes. And I think that's how we get a lot of the warmth from her issue, her facial features, how she looks at Pinocchio, you know, the way sometimes she cocks her head, you know, yep. things like that. And the, vo- the voice really does mm-hmm. sell it also. That voice uh, is great. Yeah, yeah. And several actresses were auditioned for the voice of the Blue Fairy. Shakespearean stage and screen actress Evelyn Venable was hired for her warm, cultured voice. After reviewing a few of her recording sessions, some were concerned about her husky voice. But Walt thought this gave the fairy a much-needed motherly tone when warning Pinocchio about the consequences of some of his actions. Nina Moise, a dialogue coach who had worked with Venable on a previous film, was hired as dialogue coach for Dickie Jones and Evelyn Venable. So, yeah, I agree. I never thought of her voice as being husky. Not at all. I think it's probably a mature sound that Mm -hmm. I would call it. I wouldn't call it husky, but I think that's what they probably heard. And it sounds mature, which to me is wisdom and warmth and you know, you better listen to this lady. She's looking out for you. I agree. I agree. So in our next episode, we'll take a look at the, some of the film's secondary characters, including Figaro and Cleo, Honest John and Gideon, Stromboli, the coach, Lampwick, and Monstro. So out of these secondary characters, John, do you have a favorite? Let's see. Honest John, Gideon, Figaro. Fig- Actually, it's Figaro for me, too. Figaro and Is Cleo. Is it really? There's- yeah, yeah, they're sort of a combo. They're a team. I love them. Those I love two. them. So I do love Stromboli also. He's a he's a great character. Oh my gosh, he's larger than life. Yeah. So I like it when he loses his temper and then tries to gain control. Yeah, that actually <laughs> scared me as a kid. I remember being pretty scared of that guy. Oh, especially when he threatens to kill <laughs> Pinocchio yeah. and he throws that hatchet. Yes, you yes, know, yes. into into a bin of broken marionettes. Yes, that yes. looked like they'd been chopped up. That really frightened me when I was little. So yeah. <laughs> when I when I watched the film back the other day, uh, talking about animating uh, the Blue Fairy, I noticed they tried to add like she almost on half of her body. There's like an overlay of sparkle, and it mm-hmm. and you can see that 
it is actually a piece of like cell, like cellophane or whatever that it doesn't, it doesn't encompass her entire body. And you can see the fine line where it starts and stop stops, but it's still magical. It's still good. But when you watch it, I go, okay, I see that they, you know, they really tried to bring out some magicalness in this. Absolutely. They really, they really went all out in special effects for this film. Yeah. And so we'll get into that later on. Um, but uh, this is where they really, really sort of started to develop a special, special effects department. So, so uh, when, when you get a chance and you're done, tell me when to tell you about this Muppets 3D thing. I will. But, but first, let's go to this week in Disney history. Is it my okay. turn first? Or it's yours? your turn first this week. Okay. I have one that I didn't know and I thought was interesting. This is May 16th, 1974. The Disney Barbershop Harmony Group, the Dapper Dans, appear on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. I'm going to get some of these names wrong, but I'm going to for going to tell you them. Tenor John Sherburn, lead Creighton Hogan, baritone Jerry Siggins, and bass Doug Scott were the guests on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson for the next three weeks. The show's regular band, which I think it's interesting now we're having a writer's strike, mm-hmm. they were withholding their services as part of a membership in Local 47 of the American Federation of Musicians. The previous contract had expired on April 30th, which led to an impasse with the TV networks, resulting in a work stoppage. But because the Dapper Dans perform a cappella without organ chimes, they are not in violation of the union's actions. So how cool that the Dapper Dans were on The Tonight Show I for know. three weeks. Of all the people that Johnny Carson could have selected, and, right? and it's the Dapper Dans, he must have been a Disney fan, or somebody I on mean, his staff was. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, God knows there were lots of acapella groups, but they they went with them, and I think that was really cool. I never had no idea of that. When I saw it, I was like, oh, that's I'm, interesting. I'm wondering if, you know, because they have released some of Johnny Carson's, the best of Carson you know, on like video years ago, it'd be interesting to see if um, that was saved. While you're talking, I'm going to quickly go to YouTube and I'm just going to search Dapper Dan's Johnny Carson. I'm very curious if anything exists. And sure enough, Dapper Dan's on the Tonight Show. There are a few videos, so that will be fun to look at later. A five-minute video posted eight years ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to look for that after we're done yeah, today. That'll be fun. I'll try to remember, you know, post, I'll post it on um, the Connecting with Walt Facebook page. Say awesome. this is what Sean was talking about. And hopefully it's, hopefully it's not copyrighted or something. <laughs> I think if you post the link without posting the video, you're okay. Cause then, cause they're still going to go to that link. Okay. So, know, if, yeah, if there's copyright, know. it's not you that's, po- that's uh, publishing it. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little shaky on, on, that's why I'm very I, careful with photos and all yeah, that because be I'm cautious. always very shaky. On, okay, what's the rule about this? Yep. Have I you attributed it, it to the correct person? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, well, mine takes place the day before, but much earlier, <laughs> May fifteenth, nineteen twenty-eight. So Ooh. we all know we all know that that um, Steamboat Willie was the first Mickey Mouse short. But it really wasn't. Walt Disney's first silent short to feature Mickey Minnie Mouse, it premiered on May 15, 1928, as a sneak preview at a theater on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Uh, 
California. So it was plain crazy um, that debuted. And that was the first film. And this was a parody of the Charles Lindbergh craze. So he had flown the Atlantic. So he was a, a big hero. And it had cost him 1777 Let me start that one again. It cost the studio $1,772 to make. So it also is the very first appearance of Clarabelle Cow. Ooh. A lot of people don't, when they see the cow and, and Hor- Horace Horse Collar, they think, who are they? Because they appeared in early shorts, and then they sort of have resurged in the yes. last few years. They've brought them back. But this is the first time Clarabelle Cow is there. And this this short, Plain Crazy, is co-directed by Walt Disney Ub Iwerks. And uh, Ub is also given credit as the main animator, although he is assisted by Hugh Harmon and Rolf Ising. And this is the last Disney project that Harmon and Ising will work on um, because they are going to jump to that new studio formed by Charles Mintz when he hired folks away from um, mm. from the Disney studio. The, and that gave us Mickey Mouse. So, you know, that's why we have Mickey Mouse because they lost Oswald to Charles Mintz and Universal who owned it, owned the rights. So, but these two will later leave Mintz's studio and go on to start Warner Brothers and Metro Goldwyn Mayer Animation Studio. So you'll, you'll especially see their names in like the Merry Me- Melodies series for Warner Brothers. Yep. Um, and, and they, um, sound will later be added to Plain Crazy and officially released in March 1929, four months after Steamboat Willie. Wow. Okay. But Steamboat Willie was the first sound one, right? It was the first sound one, but I believe okay. it was the third to be animated in the, wow. in the series. And then, um, but Walt realized sound was the coming thing. Uh, and, and so he went back and that's when they took Steamboat Willie because he felt it had the most, there were so many sound effects in there between playing the instruments and the animals and, and, you know, Mickey whistling and all that, that, and the sound of the boat and, and all that, that, um, it had more potential for sound to wow people. Going, going back to Clarabelle Cow, I'm so glad how they use her now for Christmas a lot in the Magic Kingdom. She's the one that comes out like, uh, I don't want a lot for Christmas. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and she's my favorite part in the parade when they're baking the, uh, she's baking cookies and going, mm-hmm. she's, uh, she's fantastic. She is. She is. When, when California, Disney California Adventure was sort of redone and we have Buena Vista Street, they had Oswald, Clarabelle and Clarabelle were regularly out for meet and greets. Wow. And uh, now you don't see them so much anymore. No, no. So. But Pete came back in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping we get Pete in Walt Disney World. We have a, his silly sideshow. He would be perfect there. That would be great. Yeah. I, I believe in having lots of characters. And Disneyland is more known for its walk around characters in Walt oh. Disney World. Yeah. yeah so D- Disneyland, um, Alice was just walking next to me and I was shocked. Whereas mm-hmm. in Disneyland, I, I mean, Disney World, I'd have to be online and prepare to meet her. I like the spontaneous a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And like we said, I think in a previous episode, I think a lot of that at Disneyland is also because we don't have the utilidors. So they have to cross the park to yeah, go backstage. I like, I like and it And then so they interact much. with the guests all along the way. Yep. Yeah. 
So it's a much more natural feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, t- okay. Now you have to tell us about the mistake in, um, okay, in so Muppet Vision 3D. A lot of times throughout my life, someone will show me or I'll notice a mistake in a movie or something. And a lot of times it's one of those things where you play it back a million times and you don't catch it. This one, after they told me about it, it was even clear. It was so clear. It was unmissable. I couldn't believe that I didn't notice it previously. When Miss Piggy is on the lake and I forget the bunny's name when he comes over bzz, 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 with the butterfly and she grabs onto the motorboat handle and gets yanked across the lake with her butt showing. Mm-hmm. If you watch closely, because we're all looking at her derriere go across the lake, we don't notice that her head completely falls off and spins into the bushes when she gets yanked. You know, I had heard that and I never caught it. If you watch it and you look, you'll go like, I remember when they told me there was an audible gasp from me in the audience going, because you could not unsee it. And it wasn't something fast. It was there in plain daylight, almost as if someone said, okay, listen, we're going to pull this character. There's no hand in her. So we're going to clip her down. We're going to clip the head down a little bit with stuff. And it just didn't hold. The force was too much. And Mm -hmm. Miss Piggy's head comes right off and goes rolling into the bushes behind her. You can see it if you play it on YouTube or go into the theater. I had heard that it happened and that they, you know, why they didn't correct it or refilm, I don't know. But um, Listen, I watched it for years and never noticed it, as I'm assuming most people don't. Mm-hmm. You're just you're you're totally misdirected into looking at other things. But when you watch it and look for it, you go, you go, wow, okay. They just decided, you know what? Our head will be back in two seconds. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's that okay. I'm definitely next time I'm at Walt Disney yeah. World, I'm I'm definitely watching for that. <laughs> you're gonna have to put your ma- your hand over your mouth because you're gonna go. <gasps> i think because i'm always focused on what's pulling her and stuff like that that i don't pay much attention i didn't pay attention to the head yeah the whole scene is you know the sound the pulling the the the, her her derriere going across and you know the laughing about it you just don't notice it it's done very well so well, I wanted to bring up, again, we haven't talked about it in a few weeks, the Diz event that's coming up at Disneyland from August 4th through August 6th. Uh, you want to go onto the Diz boards into the forums because information has been updated. So what's been updated is that the uh, hotels, um, Dreams Unlimited Travel does have a block of hotels now available for booking and at the Disneyland Hotel and at the Grand Californian. And if you do book, you know, your reservations through Dreams Unlimited, you get priority access to purchase tickets to the event. Just a reminder what the event is. This is in Pixar Gardens and Pixar Pier at Disney California Adventure. On August 4th at 8.30, you will will be escorted into Pixar Gardens. And then from 9 to 11.30, there's a private reception at Pixar Gardens. And I think right now it's called Paradise Gardens, but I'm wondering if they're changing it to Pixar Gardens. And there's going to be food, beverages. It says exciting guests. So I'm excited to see who they are. 
And then 1130 to one is the Pixar peer um, private party for, for attendees. So you get to ride as many times as you want the Incredicoaster until you get sick to your stomach, Toy Story, (laughs) Midway Mania, Pixar pal around, which, which, you know, John, I'm still hoping, you know, you might come out for this so that uh, we can, we are supposed to ride that that horrible moving um, carriage on that thing. Um, Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind, Jesse's Critter Carousel, and Symphony, Silly Symphony Swings, which has been under refurbishment for an extended time. So we'll get to see the new, you new and improved Silly Symphony Swings. Also, the games of the boardwalk will be open and, and you, what you win is the satisfaction of knowing <laughs> you played well. There are, there are no prizes. Oh. Um, and then on the 5th, there will be a live podcast in Disney's Grand Californian Resort and Spa. And that details have not been released. But you do have to, in order to attend the the live podcast, you do have to buy a ticket for the private event at California Adventure. And so anyway, so there's updates on the ticket sales. There's on, on the dis boards, there's updates on how to book a room if you care to. And of course, you know, booking through dreams and travel helps to finance this show. So I hope you will consider doing that, but I am really looking forward to this. So it's going to be good. I, I heard that you could also get the dreams rate. For the begin before your trip and after, as yes. long as it's available and you can you know book that soon if you want to yeah, add that, dates. That's to why the I'd say book sooner rather than later in order if you want to add on before yes. and after to try to get the discounted dreams rate price on that one. And um, yeah, and then I think on the sixth there'll be various meet and greets with some of the podcast crew. See who's still hanging around and <laughs> all that. So anyway, but that will be fun. Of course, if you're going on the backstage magic trip, the Dr- Dis- Dreams Unlimited backstage magic, that's right before this event. Um, if you go on backstage magic, you get a ticket to the event. That's going to be so. that. That was a great backstage magic adventures by Disney was amazing. I did it many it years is. ago. It is, yeah, Caroline. That was our our first uh, our first adventures by Disney trip at all um and um and it was when carol finished chemo and so that trip was to prove she her first round of chemo she went through many rounds that was to prove that she could still travel that was really important to her so that was was she good for the trip she enjoyed it she did well she wiped her out but she did very well on that trip that's good so anyway it was a great group of of people on that as well so as it always is with the Diz events. Yeah. So, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3 in theaters. Have you Ooh, seen it yet? I did not. Okay. I want to go. Uh, a couple of people that I want to take with me are very sensitive to animal things. Mm-hmm. And now I'm second guessing that I'm hearing I may not be able to go with them. There there are some the, – yes, there's definitely the, – the, the, the film is, is Rocket's story. And we learn how he was experimented on from being a baby raccoon to the character we know. And, and he isn't the only one. This, the, the antagonist did this also to other animals whom we meet 
in in the film who are buddies of Rocket. So that is hard. And it's not like it's all in one chunk and then you're, right. you're done and you move on. It it the story gradually is revealed throughout. Yeah, the I might film. have to wait for a video and f- skip those parts, even though I, I bet you it's integral to the story. It is integral to the story. And yeah. uh, although I don't under totally I didn't totally understand the antagonist's motivation. Be, uh, for what he wanted to create, like what happened in his past that made him do this, that was never explored. Maybe it's in a director's cut. I don't know. But that was something I felt needed to be there. I needed to understand why he was doing this. Why did he want to create uh, – I don't I don't want to give away endings. He – he had the goal of creating something and I never understood why that was his goal. Now, maybe I missed it. Maybe I was munching on popcorn so loud. I I missed it, but um, I think he needs a motivation. Yeah. I think that's one of the the small flaws of the film. Of course, my favorite was that was the Cosmo dog. (laughs) Yeah. The dog that got abandoned by the Russians. And that's real. That's in history. But he got rescued. We saw him in the previous, you know, previous film. Yes, yes, yes. He did. She got rescued. Oh, what a character that dog is! A great addition. And and but I think you'll enjoy it. I was glad I went and saw it on a big screen. I enjoyed it. It's not the greatest Marvel film, like I've seen some people say online, but it's an enjoyable Marvel film. It's doing and, really well. And um, I hope it does. Like I saw Dungeons and Dragons also, which I think uh, I enjoyed more. I Guardians heard that was fantastic. It was, and it has not done well. It didn't have legs at the box office. and It, it was a fun adventure popcorn film that really deserves to do well because I want to see more of these characters. I thought that Dungeons and Dragons was going to be a throwaway type movie. And then I saw the preview and I said, you know what? That looks really good. And the reviews are fantastic. I have to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So it um, should be, I mean, I, I, I really am hoping they'll say, okay, we're still going to do a sequel to it. Uh, um, I'm hoping it has I, I, legs somehow. I mean, it's still in theaters, I'm hoping somehow, you know, like how some of the Marvel films do, they sort of linger there and and like Avatar did and they just keep sucking up money. It's already on streaming though for 19, for 1999, I can, Uh, I think buy it or rent it. And with Guardians three out, I don't think it's going to find it. I know, but Dungeons and Dragons was, should have been seen in the, in the, on a big screen. I believe that. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. I love the characters. You know, and it's funny, they had some of that witty banter that the early Guardians of the Galaxy film had in there. But when I want to see more of characters when the film ends, then that that says a lot. Because sometimes it's over and I'm thinking, okay, fine. (laughs) uh, I I did hear from a few friends that saw the new Little Mermaid, and they were pleasantly surprised. They really enjoyed it. I'm hearing mixed reviews. So we'll see. Okay, I've only heard from two people, so... But we'll and see, most of them you know, were invited media, so sometimes you never know. But I, I know one friend I trust, and he really liked. He said it was oh, he was good. blown away. Well, Disney needs to have a hit, so I, yeah. I hope that it is a hit. So it's even though I have my reservations about the film, um, 
a whole lot. <laughs> but, I, I, but, you know, I changing you. dialogue, changing characters, stuff like oh, that. Oh, the, so, the song dialogue, I, I think, to and, change that, I think, is ridiculous. Yeah. But also, I'm worried, you know, like, one of the things that the live action, well, it's really animated, but mm-hmm. to differentiate differentiate it from the animated film, The uh, Lion King. The reason, one of the reasons I didn't care for it is because they made the animals so realistic. They didn't have the facial expressions and that sort of was their personality, you know, in the animated film. And it just isn't realistic. When you have realistic looking animals singing, it just didn't work for me. And I'm worried that's going to be part of Little Mermaid, like with Flounder, who's a real flounder and, you know, and Sebastian's yeah. a real crab. I'm worried they're going to be so realistic that it's going to sort of take you out of it a bit. It could be. I would have liked characters. to have seen flounder's original design kept mm-hmm. in, in a live action type of thing. Yeah, Cause he was just know. a cute little fish, cute yeah. little yellow fish. So anyway, all right. I saw a list I wanted to share with you and our Connecting with Walt family. It was on uh, in our my work news feed, of all things, yesterday. 20 greatest classic Disney films ranked from worst to best. So I wanted to share this with you, John, to get your thoughts on what, you know, what do you, do you think these deserve to be here or would you substitute <laughs> any films? Do you think one film's too high or maybe too low or something? So should we start backwards from number 20? Yeah, let's do that. And I'll just be, be like, okay, let's see how they, let's yeah, see how they go. Okay. All right. The first one is, is the rescuers. So um, I like it. I well, like and that's number 20. That's number 20. Uh, all right. So uh, I like The Rescuers. I think it's great. I think the two little mice have wonderful, wonderful chemistry together. So, um, you know, so uh, I think so. It's 20. Yeah. Was it? Was it Zsa or was it Eva? No, it was Zsa and Bob Newhart. And they were terrific. And I like the sequel, too. Me, too. Rescuers Down Under. Love that one with the the boy with the bird. Oh. And you know, you do you know the hidden joke that's in the animation? Now, this is a family podcast, so I have to be careful here. Um, you know, animators put in little things, especially in these years, where because the and this was before we had the ability to stop it frame by frame and examine it. So okay. you know this scene where um oh I forget what the albatross's name is. Um, oh. You know the scene where he the, he's starting to take off and then he goes zipping down like he's falling until he gets yeah. the lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see all these apartment buildings go by, windows go by. Apparently, in one of those windows, let's just say that there was um, an ample woman changing her clothes. Oh. But in the normal film, it, I mean, normally it just goes so fast you don't know. Well. Of course, when it first came out on video and people were, I guess people examined these films frame by frame, they found it. I want to know who's going through it frame by frame. (laughs) I don't know. I thought, wow, you really don't have a lot going on unless you're a student of animation. I know what I'm doing tonight after this. <laughs> I think it's probably online. The, it's, it's, the, it's, okay, yeah, the they probably fixed it. the real one. Yeah. 
Number 19, one of my favorites. It's Hercules, one of my modern favorites. Yeah, I don't I don't know why it's so low on the list, but I have to hear the others to give it a real Yeah, yeah. I like the muses. They're my favorite. Love them. Love them. So, anyway. But uh anyway, and it has some great songs in it too. So, um I, you know, I won't say I'm in love. That's a really good song. Oh, it's a great song. Really yeah. good song. And I can go the distance, all of that. Mm-hmm. Is really I love that song too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised this one is so low. 18, Peter Pan. Oh, God, it should not be that low. I know. It really surprises me. That so, would have been in my top 10 for sure. I know. And think of the classic songs that come out of that <laughs> and everything. And Tinkerbell, one of the one of the main spokespersons for the parks, you know, flies around the Magic Kingdoms all the time. So... Anyway, number 17. I was never a fan of this series, Winnie the Pooh. I don't care for the Disney version that much. Um, I do like when they did the Christopher Robin film. I like that version of the animals. With with Ewan McGregor, I like that Mm -hmm, a lot. mm -hmm. So uh, this would be lower on my list. This might be number 20 or even below that um, in there. And then, uh, oh, number 16, again, one I'm surprised is this low, given its popularity, Frozen. Hmm. I could kind of see it there, but I I still think it's low based on the popularity, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the animation's spectacular, especially some of the special effects animation. And, of yes. course, there's the song. But, um, At the end of Let It Go, when she walks into the – opens the door – or does she shut it? I forget. But it's such a great – it is. That animation is mm-hmm. fantastic. The Sven is my favorite character. The reindeer. I yes. don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I love it on the um, Frozen attraction. At yeah, he's when great he has on the ride. stuck on the pole. <laughs> his animation great. in that ride is fantastic. It is. It really is. Number 15, Lady and the Tramp. That would be one of my top 10. That would be in my top 10 as well. I mean, it's such a great film. They have great – Heroes, great a great buddy film with the other yeah. dogs, and then and then um, and then a great too. great villain. Oh my goodness, the villain! Yeah, you know, the I mean Cruella. I mean, she's one of the greatest villains, and I like the Siamese cat. Oh wait, no, she's not Lady in the Tramp. Oh no, 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 she's. Um, I just thought Cruella. I, I put her into Lady in the Tramp. Hundred one Dalmatians. Right. Yeah. Wait, so Cruella. who's the villain of? I'm thinking who's the villain in Lady in the Tramp? Well, one of the villains is well, it's the dog catcher, and oh, yeah, also yeah. the rat, and also the aunt who comes over yes. to babysit with the cats. Yes. Oh, and the We Are Siamese is yeah. yeah, I know. That's a great one. And people say, oh, it's problematic. So, okay, the breed. <sighs> the breed is Every- called Siamese. Yeah. I mean, Everything you is just can't get around it. And, uh, it, you know, at one time the country was called Siam. So, yeah. you know, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> I mean, what about if that's a problem? Then so is this is the night. If it's if from the Italians, it's uh-huh. stereotype. It's I all know. the same. Oh, some people would probably be offended by that. Ugh. Number fourteen. This is another one. It would be in my top ten. Bambi. Yeah, it's. I, I love the just the at the art, the animation, the backgrounds. It's a lovely story. It, it has its tragedy as well as its joy. In there, so. Bower and Thumper. I know, I know. But the the scene of 
you know, of Bambi and Thumper on ice. I mean, that's such an inspired scene. Yeah. You know? I'm scared what this, what this publication does for the top five, but we shall see. 13 is Sleeping Beauty. Again, another one of my favorites for the artistry, but you have Maleficent. Uh, yeah. In it. Another her great, voice. great uh, villain. The best. So um, one of the best. Yeah. The Wicked Queen and Maleficent are my two favorites. Yeah. But but the backgrounds in this and the art and the detail are extraordinary. I mean, Walt wanted it to be a moving tapestry, the film. And, it feels and they, like Mary Blair. Is it Mary Blairish? A little, but it, um, she did some of the concept art for it, but it was Ivan um, Earl oh, was okay. the main one who set the tone of the film, the style of the film, and he was very strict about it. I, I mean, to where, you know, he was sort of a taskmaster uh, uh, about the look of the film, but it is gorgeous. It I is. would love to own a piece of Ivan Earl art. Yeah. Not necessarily Disney art. Just something, because I, I love his style. I, I think he's just brilliant. So, and I love the three little fairies. Love them. They're great. They're great. So, I love everything about that film. And uh, maybe the story isn't very strong, but everything else is just superb. Okay. It's as good as that needs to be. It Number okay, 12. twelve. Now we meet Cruella. Hundred and one Dalmatians. <clears throat> All right. All right. I'll I'll take it as well. Yeah, which I sort of consider a Christmas film because it begins and ends at Christmas. Uh, so I'll sometimes watch it at Christmas time. That's a good idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Walt didn't care for it because um, he did not like this. This is when they first started using the Xerox in order to copy the cells rather than ink and paint doing them well there's a hundred dogs to animate i know i know and but it was cost cutting uh animation had gotten to be so expensive that even walt was seriously considering shutting down animation oh my gosh and it was when they told him (laughs) we can cut the budget if we use xerox but and so they did and and it wasn't just you know the Xerox machine in the offices that you know I mean this was <laughs> yeah 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 this was this was a very elaborate elaborate piece of machinery that was sort of custom made for that for this process. He did not like the fact that the black outline showed. Wow! So on it, but I just I do remember that too. Different style, just a different style. So. But Cruella, oh my gosh, she's wonderful. Eleven. This would have been in my top ten. Cinderella. Oh no, that is that would be in my top four. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I love this film. This is the first animated Disney film I saw as a little boy. Really? Yeah. It was you know one of the reissues because they reissued films every seven years. So I caught it at one of the reissues when I was really little. And then I think Sword in the Stone was probably like the second animated one I saw. Mary Poppins, I consider live action. That was one of my yes. first Disney films, too. Right, so, even though there's animation in it. Yeah, yeah. I say. But uh, Cinderella, I mean, it's just... Uh, no, that's it's too classic. I know. And, and, the and Lady Tremaine. Effect, Lady Tremaine. She's great. Fairy Godmother, again, somebody uh, now very associated with the parks. With the parks, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was Carol's favorite character, the fairy godmother in Cinderella. I'd like to find out that the blue fairy became the fairy godmother. 
You never well she could have she could she grew older. Yeah, maybe we need a whole got new, a little more forgetful. Back. Yeah. Like we do when we get older. <laughs> need a whole story for that now. That would be I think you need to write your script, John. I think you're right. <laughs> that could be your I'm, your million like dollar yeah. idea right there. <laughs> That's it. And you're not in the WGA, so you can write it. Yeah. During the strike. <laughs> I could do it. And pedal. I come up with I a whole good backstory. Idea. You better do it right away before somebody grabs that. Somebody idea. grabs it off of this podcast. Yeah. Number 10. This one I might switch out for one of the ones that we're saying would be in our top 10s. That's Dumbo. Not Although in my I top love, 10. I love Dumbo. Maybe it'd be 11. Baby for Mine. me, it would be a little lower. Baby yeah, Baby Mine, Mine is the that, only that takeaway. It's just so heartbreaking and and yet joyful at the same time. Agree. Yeah, but uh, but I like it. It's it's a cute little film in there. Um, Did not like nine. the live action of that. Yeah, number nine. Now we're getting to some of the modern films. Moana. Yeah, I I that's one of my favorite newer ones. One Me of my too. top newer ones. I watched so it when I that. flew to uh, Hawaii, and that'll probably be my tradition when I fly to Hawaii. I have to watch Lilo and Stitch too, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but I really like Moana. Me too. It's really even just well the beginning. The beginning with the baby and the water, it's gorgeous. gorgeous. And, and the special effects, okay. the water effects, which we'll get oh. into water effects when we talk about Pinocchio. But Disney does water effects so well. Yes. You know. Yes. And one of my favorites from that film, The Grandmother. Yes. And when she turns the it into the stingray. Fantastic. Yeah. Hopefully everybody listening has seen the film. We haven't ruined anything. But, um, but we do find out early on that's like her spirit animal. Yes, stingray. Yes. So, but yeah, Moana is a wonderful one. I'm I'm worried they're they're making it in a live action. I don't know. That's going to be a hard. It's going to be hard for hard the one. Rock to capture um, the animated Maui yeah. because he's a demigod, so he could overcome a lot of earthly, you know, uh, constraints and yeah. all that. And so, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think this one would have been in my top 10. Zootopia, number eight. You know, I I might put it in my top right? 10. I, I like I like it. I did. I liked it a lot. I like I rewatched it a while back and I, I appreciated it more on my rewatch. I enjoyed it. I can see why they're making a sequel because there's so many other lands, you know, other neighborhoods. Right, or right. You stories. That they, yeah. That, that they didn't see that, that, you know, they like went through on the train, but we never actually entered them. So, um, so I'm interested in, I'm interested in what the sequel will be. Me too. But, um, um, number seven, this is no surprise. The little mermaid. Yes, definitely put up yeah. there. Yeah. The original. Ursula herself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ursula is a great, another great villain. Great. And, all that. and just a, a nice little fairy tale. So anyway, but, and of course that was the beginning of the Disney Renaissance that ushered in a whole new era of Disney animation. This would have been much higher on my list. Number six, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Ah, would have been my number one. It would have been my number one as well. So why would it have been your number one? 
just the fact that it started, you know, what started it all, the animation is beautifully smooth. It really is. I keep going back to when the Wicked Queen walks down that spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. I just love that scene. And her, the Wicked Queen yeah. talking into the mirror. Ah, and magical. Her throne magical. room, that peacock ah. throne is just spectacular. I, I, I think magic. it's a wonderful story. It, she, of course, was the first Disney princess, but this set, the tone for Disney films 100%. and their storytelling, you know, for, for decades. So yeah. I think it should have been much higher um, than it than it is. And then, and then the film we're talking about right now, number five, Pinocchio. Oh, good. good. I'm glad it's in his top. That would probably be number two. Agree. Three or four, two or three for me. Yeah. Again, and and we'll get when we when we get into the future episodes where we talk about the styling and the artistry, you know, it, uh, I'll get more into why this is one of my favorites. So I did I did in the last episode too. I just think it's beautiful. Just it's Agreed. it's a visual delight to look at, and really Disney never did detail like that again because they couldn't afford it. Yeah. So um, there so, are times I look at these things and just. Remember that it's paper flipping. I mean, not flipping, but, you know, going through cell lift. And it's just, it's alive on the screen in front of you. And it's incredible. I just think of the patience and the diligence and the, and the discipline everybody Crazy. has in making one of these films, you know, and the creativity as well. This is an interesting one. Number four, Aladdin. This had not been as high for me. No, it would have been like 15, 16 for me. I like it. Here's my concern with Aladdin. I was just talking about this. There's so many references to pop culture back when it was made Mm -hmm. that does not live today. When you see the genie doing woo, woo, woo with his hand and it's, uh, oh, I forgot the guy's name already. Arsenio Hall. Yeah. Yeah, just there's a lot of those things where you're like, who is that person? And in 20 years from now, how is it going to age? I don't know. I did, and that was one of the reasons I didn't care for it at the time was because I thought it was a little too um, modern. And, and but, but that's culture, what yeah. made the stage version at Disney California Adventures so good because the yeah. genie had all these pop culture references and he would change them. So Same thing on the ship. It was, that's, the why, ship. that's why that show still could have run because it was different every time you saw it. It was, yep. re- it was really great. The Aladdin on the cruise ship does that. He's constantly talking about Disney plus or something that just happened last week. And it is funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if, if it's the actors that are writing that or script writers just constantly reworking, but they're, they're brilliant. Whoever's responsible. Yeah. They're brilliant. But some of my favorite Disney songs come out of this one. Like I'll show you the world, you know. Um, yeah. You know. And, and Prince Ali is a great, there's great word candy in there. And that's visually, that is a fantastic scene. It's a fun scene. But the whole new world is one of my favorite Disney songs. That is great. Know, in that. So number three, I think I would have made this number three for me. Fantasia. It was groundbreaking. Of course, Sorcerer Mickey's introduced, and, and this was the new Mickey that Fred Moore had uh, sort of um, developed. And they took so many chances with this film. It was so groundbreaking. Um, I love this film. Yeah, 
I agree. So, but it wasn't a hit. I think, you know, audiences wanted a princess and all that. So it took a long time. It was with the re-releases, basically in the 60s. It really, with the psychedelic movement, it um, yeah, became yeah. popular. I that guess. makes sense. Yeah. And that's when I saw it on the big screen it was in the 60s. I think late 60s, mid to late 60s. So, um, but, oh, and the dance of the hours with the hippos and the elephants and the crocodiles. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's yes. so good. So brilliant. Number two, this would not have been my number two because I've already basically told you my one, two, and three. Um, the Lion King, the original. Yeah. Animated. I like it, but it wouldn't have been two. Yeah. Maleficent would have been, your Sleeping Beauty would have been there for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or Pinocchio. Oh, okay. So what is your number one? You said Snow, Snow White, White, right? Yeah, Snow, Snow White. White. Okay. No surprise. Beauty and the Beast. Number one. Oh, okay. You know what? That would have been in my top five. Yeah, that would have been in the top as well. I, I Again, wonderful story. Brilliant animation. Uh, some songs, terrific yeah. songs. It was... It, you know, it was nominated for Best Picture before it was. There was a, a Best Animated Film category. This was, is what inspired them to yeah. have that category for animated films, yep. because uh, you know, and it wouldn't have bothered me if it had won Best Picture. Uh, I agree. Know, I, I just thought it was gorgeous. I, it's funny. I remember when we saw Little Mermaid. We went as a family. So you know, I think my daughter was seven and son was six, or. They were seven and five, or, or six and five, I don't know, around that time. And I, I told Carol afterwards, I don't know how they can top themselves after Little Mermaid. And, and Carol they says, did. oh, just wait. And then <laughs> and then Beauty and the Beast came out. And I just thought that was, it's a spectacular film. I agree. Yeah. Even the missing song, When We're Human Again, I love it. Which I'm glad they added back in. Me too. Yeah. So, um Human again, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that was, so that's fun. So that's the 20 great classic Disney movie list. So listeners, you'll have to tell us on social media or send us emails. What's your top 20? Do you agree with this list? Would you have moved them around like John and I did? So, um, anyway, It'd be nice to see other people's lists. I would love to see other listeners' lists. Even if it's a top 10, if they don't want to go so far yeah. as 20, or, send us your top yeah, 10. top 10, top five even. I, I'm, I really would like to know what people think, you know, because am I out of touch? You know, should, yeah. should some of the ones that were low on my list be, be higher up? I, I'm open to hearing about that. So, well, we have a big announcement, John. <laughs> it uh, seems like I'm always making announcements about this show uh, <laughs> lately, you know, but I know you've already talked about this on our um, Walt Disney World, our Orlando show, but I know not all of our Connecting with Walt listeners, you know, listen to that show. So um, I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah, I had an opportunity to do something non-Disney for a little while just to take a break. Um, I'm going to do that. I might still do something on my own bigfatpanda.com YouTube channel in the future. But I just needed to take a break. No drama, nothing. I, I think the team at the Diz, which I did give my two weeks this week, um, I think the team is fantastic. I've never worked with more professional people. And, uh, you know, Pete and everything, they're just, they're just great. So there's no drama in my exit. I'm just leaving. And unfortunately, that means that I'm leaving this show too. But I hope if you'll have me as one of those 
guests that you say you might have, I will be back. Oh. So it's not really that I'm going anywhere except to see you real soon, maybe type of deal. Okay, that's that is uh, great. Well, you know, when when Craig said he was taking a hiatus to become a dad, and 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 let things, you know, fall. As I talked to him yesterday, you know, let things fall into a normal pattern. I always just laugh to myself. You know, with that thing, so that they don't, it doesn't settle down till they move out of the house. But, <laughs> but, um, 18 years, 18 years, 18 years, or, or who knows? If he goes to a local college, he might still, Rory, 35 might be there. Years. Yeah. But, um, anyway, but, and I thought, who's going to step into Craig's shoes? And you did such a wonderful job. <clears throat> you know, normally, you so normally, Dizzers don't like change, but I got a lot of positive feedback from people saying just, you know, Craig and I were a great team and that you and I were a great team. And I have to agree. So good. Absolutely have to agree. You know, it, it, it changed the show, but I, you know, not all change is good, but this one, it was a good, it was a fun change. You know, we have different personalities in there. You brought a different point of view in. We agreed a lot though, a little too much. I was like, what is your favorite out of things? And I would always pick almost the same thing. I was like, wow, it's the same person. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we, we have, yeah, we have similar tastes. So I, I do hope that this isn't goodbye. And it no, is just. Feel free to invite too. me back every now and then. Oh, I will definitely take you up on that. Okay, great. I will put you in the rotation. Thank so, you, sir. So speaking of rotation, so I'll be wondering, okay, now what's happening? So what we're going to do, and, and this is, you know, after discussion with Pete Werner, who's my boss, and and Craig, of course, Williams, who's the executive producer, we, we you know, a lot of ideas were tossed around. And what we are going to do is for the next two weeks, we are going to pull, we're going to pull from the Disneyland show archives. Um, I, I will still be, you know, I will still be doing the intros and outros. They will be fresh, but then we'll, we'll bring over something that you may not have heard from the Disneyland show. One of my history episodes there for about two weeks. And then we're going to have, we're going to come back the week of like May 29th. We, which I think, the release date is then June, June 2nd or 3rd, I said, I think. Um, we will have, we will start a series of rotating hosts. Some voices, you know, actually they will all be voices, you know. Um, we're a lot of them from the, our old Disneyland team who's been on the show on connecting with Walt. So sp- the first week in May, right now we're planning to have Mary Jo as the co-host. And so we'll be rotating people and we'll sort of have a schedule. And then um, when Craig and I talked, he's, I, Craig is going to be part of the rotation. First of all, he, he volunteered to, to fill in when he can. And then we're hoping in the fall, Craig will return full time. That's sort of his game plan right now. So we'll see things could change, but um, that's what we're aiming for. So, so I think, um, so it's going to be fun because the Disney team are old, old dear friends. So, and then we'll pull in others. I'm looking at maybe, um, a couple people we've had on as guests also coming on and, and filling in. So, um, so that's going to happen. So we're not going away. So we're, we're still going to be here. We're going to continue the Pinocchio story in just a few weeks. So, but until I'll make sure then, I listen to that for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. So and thank you again, John, from the bottom of my heart. It's I, I uh, got to tell you, Michael. Lost. This has mm-hmm. this has never been work to me. Uh, 
I don't want to get choked up, but I might. But sitting here <laughs> listening and learning and talking with you has been a privilege. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind. Well, working with you has just been a joy. Really thank enjoyed you. it. And I think that comes through it, when, when, for our listeners. When they, when they when they hear us go, you know, with our witty banter, is like I hope, write I in hope. a script, witty banter, <laughs> witty banter. <laughs> yes. And finally, I want to wish everybody who's celebrating a very happy Mother's Day. So and um, and so you know, and also a happy Mother's Day to the mothers who are no longer with us, because I firmly believe they are celebrating and they will be with us in spirit. So, so don't forget them, even if they're not physically there. They're they're still in your hearts, and they're st- they will still be around your table when, when as you celebrate the day. So, I use several books and articles when researching this episode, including the book um, Pinocchio: The Making of the Disney Epic by J.B. Kaufman. Uh, again, the um, wonderful Pinocchio exhibit at the Walt Disney Family Museum I used as a, a reference. Uh, several articles and websites, The Real Pinocchio and the Disney Pinocchio That's um, article that's on Storynori.com. Walt Disney's 1940 classic Pinocchio by the Daily Mail. The Real Story of Pinocchio Tells No Lies by Smith, uh, Smithsonian Magazine. Walt Disney's Pinocchio by Charles Silver. The Twisted History of Pinocchio on Screen by Cindy White. The History of Disney Animation, Pinocchio by CVD History and Museums. The Impact of Jiminy Cricket on the Walt Disney Company by the Disney Classics website. Pinocchio Imperiled by Termite by the Disney's <laughs> Dreammakers. John, I will always think of you when I, when I think <laughs> Me <about>. too. I <laughs> like um, the original Pinocchio was too evil for Disney by Carl Seaver. How Pinocchio set the standard for feature animation by Genevieve Kosky. The Untold Truth of Pinocchio by Sarah Buttery. <laughs> well, John, even though you there won't the next time might not be for a while, but again, let's repeat how our listeners can connect with you and follow you on social media. If they wanted to email, they could do panda at bigfatpanda.com or just visit bigfatpanda.com. And I will definitely be back in the future on here. Okay, terrific. Well, you can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com. You know, and, and on all these things I'm going to list, put your what your top animated films are. Did you agree with us? Did you agree with the article? Is there something not on there? that you would have added? Is there a Disney film not there? You know, like maybe Atlantis <laughs> yeah, or Treasure Planet. You never know. So anyway, so you can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, michaelbowling-connectingwithwalt. Instagram, michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me, Craig, John, and the whole cast who's going to be moving in and out of here for the next few weeks on Twitter at connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers in Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or disneyplug.com and look for past episodes of connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. 
So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.